0: you're listening to make it thrive the company culture podcast i'm your host lizzie benton culture consultant and founder of liberty mind and i want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive in this podcast i talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture together we can make it thrive Hi everyone and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I hope that you're enjoying season seven so far, water cooler conversations, and that it's stimulating lots of thought-provoking ideas and ways of working that are inspiring you to do things a little bit differently. Now this episode is a little bit different. For a change, I'm being put in the hot seat and being interviewed by Toby Nolan, co-founder of Candle App. For those of you who are new to Candle, Candle is a mental health awareness app that makes it easy for organisations to detect, triage, solve and prevent mental health and wellbeing issues for their people. It has this beautifully simple function where people can light their candle when they're struggling with their mental health, like a gentle beacon calling for help. If the mental health of your team is a priority right now, then I've linked Candle in the show notes, so I'd highly recommend you go and check them out. Toby and I met last year during the pandemic over the good old Zoom, and we really connected on our shared belief that wellbeing and mental health shouldn't be an add-on, but a core part of how your company culture operates. Both co-founders, Toby and Tom, are great guys, and I felt genuinely grateful to get to know them this year and the work they're doing. During our many conversations, Toby asked why I hadn't been interviewed on my own podcast as he felt my story and experience needed sharing, which is so kind of him. So Toby offered to do the role reverse and interview me. Now, for context, I had no clue what Toby was going to ask me during this interview because I wanted it to be completely honest and authentic. Personally, I think he did an awesome job and should seriously start his own podcast. So without more delay, here's our conversation. Hi Toby, and welcome to the Make It Thrive podcast. Thank you for being my interviewer today.
1: Of course. (laughs) Thanks for having me on.
0: So I'm in the hot seat for a change.
1: Yeah, absolutely um i'm excited excited to explore the mind of lizzie benton
0: that can be dangerous (laughs) (laughs) so where do you want to start what 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 question do you want to start with what's the burning question
1: sure well i think it's just cool to point out that this kind of organically came about Um, yeah
0: it did yeah
1: yeah so i reached out to you um for some advice and uh to kind of pluck some of your wisdom and it became apparent that there was some there was a lot there There there's a lot there to unpack and uh the natural result of that was hey let's let's interview lizzie on the podcast and and learn more um and so i'm excited because i think that the things that i learned in that session one-on-one um were just really valuable and i think that um there's just a huge benefit for 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 having an interview with you on online.
0: Oh, you are far too kind. <laughs> you give me way <laughs> too much credit. <laughs> oh dear. I've got a lot to live yeah. up to.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it's gonna be great. So, do you want me to start?
0: Yeah, let's do it. I will just put out a disclaimer if anybody hears any really loud purring during the session, it is because my cat has decided that he wants to join this podcast today. Um, normally, he's outside, but it's absolutely checking it down. So um, apologies in advance if there's an over overtone of purring. Hopefully, it will just relax you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> From the cat. If, you, the if cat. you tell off the yeah. cat, yeah, yeah. We're both called Toby, but whatever. No. <laughs> um, so here's one, Lizzie. Um, and this is maybe a little bit different. But what's something that gave you a sense of wonder as a child?
0: Oh, that is such a good question. I love that sense of wonder. I think to me it was just for me the natural world. I know that sounds really strange, but um when I was growing up, I was really fortunate that I had a really quite a large garden and I just loved um sounds so bizarre but just laying in my garden looking up at the sky (laughs) I used to be quite a daydreamer so I would just sometimes go out into the garden and just like look up and just watch cloud watch basically um so I always had this kind of yeah deep wonder for the natural world and when I was really little I actually wanted to be an archaeologist (laughs) I've gone on a very different route um so yeah it would be the natural world I think I still find it wondrous even now
1: so you say that you you still feel it wondrous now it still feels wondrous to you now Mm. um what were some of the thoughts that you had as a child when you were thinking about it when you were out there how did it affect you uh from a a kind of a well-being point of view
0: Mm, yeah I suppose it just made me feel really um, grounded. So, I I mean, I was a child that spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, you know, back then you didn't have social media and YouTube and um, all these things you have now. So I really loved just being outside. I used to go on a lot of bike rides with my brothers. Um, and it just made me feel really grounded and nothing made me feel better than having spent a whole day outside just messing and mucking about and doing stuff mm-hmm.
1: that's good <laughs> It's good to know um I recently read a blog that you put out about your experience of school
0: mm.
1: and how um you said something to the effect of you felt school was either for The teachers were either looking after the naughty kids or trying to push the really bright kids and you were left in the middle. Um, Can you explain that a bit more? Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, so just to put that into context, so a good friend of mine, Susie, was talking about um, her choice to move up to Cumbria and she was concerned that in many years' time her children might say to her why have you moved us out to this rural space because we've now got a lack of opportunities and does our education create opportunities and for me personally my experience of school I absolutely hated it and I lived in a in a large city so um, in Peterborough and Originally, um, I was meant to go to a private school, so my parents had got me a position in a private school because my older brothers had been there previously, so I immediately got a position. But as young girls do, I didn't want to be separated from my best friend for life. And I remember so vividly having an argument with my parents in the dining room that I wasn't going to go to this school because I didn't know anybody. And I was going to follow my best friend to this like public school, which sounded great to me. Um, I got there and the reality was awful. And I mean awful. It was just a, a public state school. And there was, it was in a really deprived area. So there was a lot of knife crime, loads of drugs, um, suicide. I mean, arson attacks on the school all the time. The amount of times it was closed because someone had tried to set fire to the school. Um, Lots of underage pregnancies. You know, um, teachers fired for child sexual abuse. It was just horrific. And people always say to me, oh I loved school like I can't like I wish I could go back my experience was the complete opposite and I absolutely hated it and I couldn't wait for it to be over and because of that kind of extremities of that there was so much deprivation the classes that I attended were just overruled by the children because the ones who were the most disruptive just got the most attention and obviously now as an adult I understand it is because they had a lot of home life issues But as a child, it's really frustrating that you're not getting any attention in regards to your education. So the teachers were very much either just dealing with the disruptive ones or, you know, really trying to push those who were highly academic and already getting all the A's and looking to go on to places like Cambridge and Oxford. And I was never massively academic. I was well behaved and I got average (laughs) grades. (laughs) I didn't really speak up. I wasn't confident at school. But I did just get sort of lost in the middle. There was no, yeah, there was nothing that massively influenced me at school.
1: You were an in-betweener.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was a total in-betweener.
1: <laughs> so what, what got you through? What got you through?
0: Oh, my gosh, that is such a good question. I honestly don't know because I didn't even have a good group of friends. Um the per- the the best friend that I went to that school with, she'd never really been a great friend. She'd been one of these friends who your parents always a bit like, but she's never very nice to you. Why are you still friends mm. with her? Do you know what I mean? Like one of those friends, and you're mm. like, oh shut up, mum and dad. Like you don't know, you don't know me. um But really, I realised that when I got to secondary school because every week she would have like a new best friend. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And. The, the group I was with were very toxic and really just bullied me. And I don't really know what got me through. Um, luckily, I had a really supportive family. So I've got three brothers um, who are amazing. And my mum's my always been my number one fan. <laughs> so I suppose I was just lucky that back then I could go home and there would be a relief from school. Whereas nowadays, you know, kids come back from school and you still get followed on Instagram or social media. You know, there, there wasn't those things. I could just kind of separate home and school very easily. So that boundary probably got me through, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about culture a lot in this discussion. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know a thing or two about culture. What, what was the culture of home? What was the culture of and death?
0: uh, gosh, where do I start? I mean, what's the best word? I would say disruptive, um, fear driven. It was not good. So my parents got together when they were teenagers, like they did back those days, you know, met at school, you marry your first love, don't you? And all that jazz. Um, but They came from very different backgrounds and unfortunately, you know, my dad started his business when he was 19. So he started, he was a carpenter at 19 and then they had my, my older brothers. Um, and yeah, I think because of it's only looking back and this is not making any excuses for my parents. But it isn't until you become an adult yourself and you realise the pressures that they went through that you can kind of understand the experiences you had. So it was a very traumatic childhood because my dad was domestically violent to my mum on a regular basis. Um, he's, he's totally recovered from that now and he was, you know, I think he was probably an alcoholic because... Back in those days, you went to work as a carpenter. You worked all day and then you went to the pub. That was kind of the thing to do back then. So it was very much part of almost the cultural norm that men did that. They would work all day, go to the pub in the evening. And I mean like every evening. So there was a lot of kind of, um, yeah, violence. It was very disruptive. Um, I mean, hands on heart, I've only since I've been an adult, had a good relationship with my dad. I didn't have a good relationship with him growing up. Um, So yeah, it was just really intense. And because they both built successful businesses as I was growing up, that came with a lot of pressure as well. So there was always a lot of arguments around things Mm -hmm. um, around, you know, clients not paying around um, just, yeah, you know, overworking that kind of thing. So it was an intense experience growing Mm. up (laughs) with my parents.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like a, like a refiner's fire in many ways. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, thank you for being so open there. Um, I didn't, I didn't know the, the, the history. Um, But what I love about what you do is that you focus on humanity in the workplace. Mm. and kind of bridging that gap between recognising that today, look, we don't need to have these professional hats. Um, There's another way where we can bring our uh, human skills, our human qualities into the workplace. What I want to know and understand is where did you learn about humanity?
0: Good question. Humanity. I would probably say it's a mixture of things. I don't think there's one particular experience that really I say would define it. I suppose it's almost like an amalgamation of things. So being brought up um you know the way I was and because as well my my mum ran a nursery so every one of my school holidays was basically me being an assistant nursery nurse which was just (laughs) oh my gosh it was (laughs) so annoying um but you know having that experience from a young age of looking after children you learn a lot about humanity through the eyes of children so I think a combination of that experience um having that kind of compassion but then also going through the experiences of you know seeing my parents you know in the situation that that was at home I think it's all those kind of human experiences that we go through that no one can ever really teach you about it's just all all the things you know and even like my frenemies at school I didn't ever want to be one of those people I was just like you know I'm sure they had their own issues going on but I never wanted to be someone who put fear into somebody else who controlled other people, who manipulated other people. It was all these kind of toxic traits I think that I've become a very aware of from such a young age that I I just I would never want to come across or be myself.
1: So it's it's uh it's been an experience of learning what's not the right thing to <laughs> yeah. do. And then from that figuring out what is the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which,
1: which I think is a great model in in most um, most places of work, or most in any kind of project. Figuring out what the wrong thing is first and mm. can prove pretty successful. Um, so again, you've had quite a number of roles. I think you started out in retail, right?
0: Gosh, yeah, back in my teens. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, at Republic. Get old
0: um,
1: and then from there, you've, you've worked in a number of startups with mm. different roles yeah. with kind of a mix of, um, design and people. And, uh, I think you're in fashion for a little bit as yeah, well.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so what I want to know is when did you realize that Liberty Mind, this passion that you have for culture, when did you realize that that's what you want to do? What was the, the moment?
0: I would say it would be probably in my previous career working in the marketing agency um, is where I really got it got under my skin. I would say is the best way to phrase it. So it was purely a startup when I started. So there was literally the co-founders, um, a, a developer, and one other person. So I think there were four people when I started there, um, and. I had the opportunity to really build, mold the culture, support building the teams. I loved it. And it actually gave me a bigger kick than my actual job that they'd hired me for. And I didn't even start there, you know, thinking I would take on culture. I don't even think they were aware of it. They just knew that as we were growing, um, they needed to kind of employ more people. And they knew that, you know, we needed to kind of focus on culture and I think because of my, and this is kind of a a consistent joke. So I'm quite matriarchal in the way I am sometimes. So they often sort of referred to me as Wendy to Peter and the lost boys, because I'd be very (laughs) organized and I kind of mother everyone. And I'd be like, you know, has everybody had breakfast, you know, like I kind of just adopted this almost like mothering role over everybody Mm -hmm. there. And I think, naturally they just saw that I had this way of kind of looking after people and helping them so I kind of fell into it really and I got such a buzz out of helping people and developing people and it got under my skin um and I just loved doing that that stuff in the organization so when it then became my role um as it were you know my responsibility um it just got me even more excited because I started to realise the the absolutely infinite potential of what could be possible in terms of culture.
1: Amazing. How did you start?
0: How did, how you, did you go? That? From,
1: yeah how how did you go from this is under my skin, this is what I want to do, to start in Liberty Mind.
0: Yeah, well that's an interesting story because I was made redundant from that marketing agency. So we built it. And then um, the co-founders decided to sell it, um, which like most, um, you know, founders want to do. Um, But it was a really ugly buyout. um, And basically, the company ended up getting liquidated by the people that bought it. So I, we all lost our jobs. Um, I got made redundant and it was right in the January of 2018 after Christmas, which was great fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) <laughs> um and I and I, it's always one of these things where because I'm from quite a business focused background upbringing you know both my parents have their own businesses my brothers have their own businesses I'd always liked the idea of starting my own business but I don't think I'd ever quite had the courage to step out of the comfort of being employed mm-hmm. because let's be honest it's pretty comfortable you get paid to go on holiday sickness pay a regular salary I mean what's not to love um, so I got kind of very caught up in the comfort of it and I'd always kind of liked the idea of you know starting my own business and throughout previous careers I'd always had like a little side hustle like for a long time in one of my previous careers I had my own blog and my blog like made money you know back in the day when fashion and beauty bloggers and influencers started to emerge So I always kind of had a side hustle but then after I got made redundant I kind of thought right I can really I can actually do something that I want to do now and what am I really passionate about and what do I want to move forward with um and so that's how Liberty Mind started so literally I registered the company in February 2018.
1: So you started and you went for it um So, as you began, what did you learn quickly? Was something in the the industry that people just didn't understand? Or or was there something that people believe in this industry of culture strongly that you actually know isn't true?
0: Mm. I think when I first started, I was quickly realising that everybody believed that culture was all the... the the work days out you know the the bowling events the workplace parties the the silly things that you do in the office it was all this kind of materialistic perks and I'd seen this so heavily and especially because I'd come from a marketing agency and they are notorious for promoting themselves of really good cultures and posting all over Instagram about these events but the truth is as we we know even or I hope we know by now that, and especially after the past year, culture is not your materialistic work perks. it's not your events, it's not what quirky things you have in the office. It's not the fact that you've got Mario Kart or bean bags or that you let a dog come into the office. That is not your culture. It is the absolute foundation of how you communicate with each other. It's the underlying mindsets and values that you each hold each other accountable to there's something so much stronger than all of the materialistic perks so that is something I quickly noticed and it was funny because every you know as I was trying to pitch myself to get business pretty much most advertising or marketing agencies or businesses were like oh yeah we already have someone that manages our workplace events like that's not culture it just made me want to scream down the phone so it was really frustrating because I I thought naively that they they understood culture, um, but they didn't.
1: They didn't. Um. So when you begin to work with someone, um, and you've been working with them for a time, maybe maybe when the project's finished, what are the some of the biggest changes that you see?
0: Mm. For me, the biggest change I see is how and how people treat each other. And I think that's the most powerful thing. You know, when you go into a culture that's maybe got quite toxic because of maybe some distrust issues or, you know, things that, you know, the elephants in the room that no one dares to talk about. But it's causing this toxic ripple effect everywhere. For me. What? it Yeah.
1: What are some of the What are some of the elephants in the room? The
0: elephants in the room. People being made, um, people being fired or sacked without nobody else knowing, <laughs> and they and they turn up for work and go, oh, <laughs> where's, where's this person? <laughs> and the people and the the managers or the leaders are like they've gone, and that's all we can say about it. Right, <laughs> cool. Okay. so you know, that's
1: not very that's not very human it's right? not
0: very human so you know those kind of things um people being you know aggressive in the workplace not knowing how to actually handle themselves or communicate properly so we're allowed to be angry we're allowed to get frustrated about things but it doesn't mean that you can physically shout at somebody or you know kind of it's all of those kind of things so I think for me, the biggest transformation is seeing communication between people and a mutual respect between teams. I think that's really powerful <laughs> because people often think, oh, we all have to be friends at work and nicey nice. And it's like, no, you don't. You just need to have respect for what each of you are there to do.
1: Wow. So I, I, I don't want to skip over these elephants in the <laughs> room. I think we need to air out, air out this dirty laundry a little bit more um because i think these things part of the conversation around a cave we just want to respect each other it's kind of like you said before we've got to figure out what's wrong what what what, what's an incorrect relationship mm. at work um so maybe you could just share more of those things that you've come across in terms of elephants in the room things that are left unsaid mm. things that make people just lose respect for managers and and their colleagues maybe you could elaborate
0: yeah oh my gosh where do I even start I mean it's all the things so things such as and I see I still see this a lot now is you know the email you know the the email that goes round about somebody's done something wrong so I call it and, and we're allowed to swear on this by the way so explicit language coming up I call it the fuck up email so that goes round but the person whose actual fault it the actual person who's made that mistake is none the wiser because nobody has the balls to go up to that person and go hey dude did you know you fucked this up because we have this like Mm. internal fear of oh gosh well if i do that like are we gonna have to go down a hr process and all that crap it's (laughs) like no no actually speak to that person as a human being and say dude like This happened. Can we have a conversation about this? You know, rather than this fuck-up email that goes round where everybody ends up gossiping, oh, who did it? Who do you think did it? And Or the worst part, people think it's themselves but are none the wiser. Oh, was that me? Did I Mm -hmm. do that thing? So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things I see, this kind of like, you know, toxic little drop in the ocean. So things like that that happen. Um, People generally not just treating others with the respect or care so I had one client a few years ago who had the and I use this quite a lot this analogy but they had the value of care in their you know in their list of values that they had as an organization but they were still months behind paying overtime to somebody who'd done overtime for them and and they were literally like constantly having to bring it up and I was like doesn't really show that you care if you're not very good at paying people the overtime that they do like oh we care so much you know about you and we really value you it's like well you clearly don't if you're not paying people on time or it's just it's all of those simple things that people are sometimes afraid to say talk about in the culture because they're afraid to you know at worst get fired they're afraid to be treated differently or ostracized um Mm -hmm. you know somebody might speak up but then you've got a manager or leader who doesn't say anything back but then all of a sudden the the office door becomes closed to them or they get the odd look or it's a very cold Mm -hmm. attitude it's all these kind of like under the surface kind of things do you know what i mean Mm
1: -hmm. and obviously i think with the Email going around, and these are obviously symptoms of a maybe darker problem Ooh. that there is uh, fundamentally at the base of what this organisation is doing. There's flaws, yes. maybe in the strategy or in the in the leaders themselves. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, I don't envy you from a this is because obviously you're working with people who bring into the workplace their own insecurities, their own experiences their own paradigms and their own kind of modus operandi, if you will. Um, So how do you manage that when you go in and and change needs to be made? How do you get people who have these insecurities and different industries will maybe concentrate or magnify those Mm. to a different extent? How do you tell them it's okay that, you know, you can mess up at work uh, and it's okay. Um, how do you get over that? Because I think that that is such an ingrained, learnt, behavior, learnt kind of belief. Mm. What What do you do?
0: Yeah, it's all about establishing that psychological safety, isn't it? You know, if you've gone from one environment where you can't speak up about making a mistake in fear of being penalised by it, to trying to flip that around to a safe environment where you can go, yeah, I made a mistake and, you know, I hold my hands up. It's really hard to do that switch. And whenever I'm working with teams, it's always about, first of all, building a level of self-awareness within the teams of how they're already, how they're showing up. So what are we already coming into this environment with? Because, we need to not only shift our perspective in work, but we also maybe need to, first of all, maybe change actually how we're showing up in the workplace because collectively we can't change a culture until we do some internal shift as well. And so that that's hard and it takes a practice because like you say, there is, there is legacy issues. There are people who have been in the workplace for 40 years who are thinking, mm. oh, well, it's always been done this way and I don't want to change, you know? And you, you can't easily change those people. It's like turning a tanker. Like it's just slow. And some people will also decide that it's not for them and just leave. So it's a brave thing to do to try and change a culture. But for me, whenever I'm doing this work with teams, it's always about trying to establish a level of self-awareness before we go into collectively changing the culture because there needs to be an internal shift before there's the, the bigger shift collectively
1: what are some of the kind of bad recommendations that you've come across in your profession in the things that you do what are some of the kind of Mm. maybe well-intentioned but but inaccurate recommendations that are made to companies that are wanting to make change i think you've listed a couple around what culture might be if they have a bar if they have a a pet Mm. tortoise in the office or something like that But um but maybe you could just expand on that.
0: Yeah, I think the the biggest one I see most often is are are two actually. So the first one that always gets my goat is personal like personality, character type um, like questionnaire things. Like I don't feel like they are the answer to it. I feel like there's so like we can't put all of these problems into a box and go oh yeah it's just a clash of personalities there is so much more to unpack than just a personality or a character profile and while it's good to it's good as a person they're good as a personal development tool so i've used them throughout my own personal development um, to help me understand more about myself i don't like how they're recommended as this like quick fix to understanding your culture problems and identifying what they are because that they're not they're not they're not that's not what they're made for so that to me gets really frustrating because I've seen firsthand how companies have taken on a, a personality profile consultant and they've gone oh yeah it's because um these two people are totally different character profiles that's why and it hasn't worked that that's not that's not the underlying issue so for me the the hype around character profiling which is still continuing is something that really frustrates me and I actually think they can be incredibly damaging when you add them into company culture you can end up boxing people and kind of going oh well that's because you know maybe we should talk to this person this way because they're a yellow or they're a blue or they're an a b c d or whatever bs comes out and that's not really human, is it? That's kind of turning somebody into this this box, this label, which I feel like we've come so far to try and not do in our society. That all of a sudden we're we're leaning on these profiles to to create a quick fix for culture, which it doesn't. So that would be my first thing. Yeah, I
1: think if I can just give an opinion on that, um, mm. I think that in an ideal sense, when you're hiring and when you're bringing people into an organization, what you want is the actual, you want the aggregation of that person's best, not just, uh, this is why hiring is so difficult in in that, you know, an interview day that could, that experience could be existing within a vacuum. It's just one day. They might just be having a crappy day. Um, when they take this personality test, this could just be having an off day. Right. Um, whereas the aggregation of that individual is what is really valuable to an organization um yeah yeah so um if you could have a web page or a billboard on the on on the motorway or an advert on the t v um or maybe just a a constant kind of uh plug on linkedin or wherever it might be something that a lot of people see what would you and it was going to reach billions and um, millions and billions of people what would it say
0: oh gosh that is yeah that's a lot of pressure toby (laughs) one one message it can be a it can be a few
1: words or it can be a paragraph um
0: It would probably be something, and again, excuse my language, but, like, just stop treating people like robots. (laughs) (laughs) It really annoys me that people continue to, like, treat people like robots and, like, they're this resource to be kind of strung out, to be, you know, squeezed out of as much as possible. And we're not robots, we're humans and we have so much more to offer there'll be many robots in the future that can do particular jobs and things for us but to get treated like one right now in the workplace and and that the complete lack of empathy that happens drives me insane
1: so so why why do you want people to know that
0: because at that exact point i think we're still treating people like robots in the workplace and that they are exchanging they're simply exchanging their time for a paycheck you know clocking in clocking out that kind of old adage but they're not they're giving so much more than that it's not just time it's not so that's why I want them to know that because people also are not built just to work for that company either you know that's not the be all and end all of their life they're not a machine there to work by that company's will so that's why i'd want it because i feel like we've forgotten that we're human and that we're such we're more multifaceted than just doing Mm -hmm. a job
1: Mm -hmm. okay so i want to maybe switch gears a little bit into kind of practical terms (laughs) um things that things that some of the people listening might be able to do or change. Uh, Cause I think sometimes the, um, we underestimate the effect that we, that, that we can have when we change our own kind of sphere of influence. Um, I think many mm-hmm. people might think, okay, our company isn't Tesla. Our company isn't Google. You know, our company isn't whoever it might be. Um, we're a little startup in an office and you know, the south of manchester or whatever it might be um but what are some practical things things that can make a difference what's what's one of the best kind of investments a small startup or medium enterprise can make that they can change in the short term that will have a lasting effect
0: Mm, yeah i think one of the best things i've ever seen in any company culture or to start with is to Teach each other how to be better coaches or mentors. So, to actually come from a place of supporting each other. So, rather than, you know, often we come from that expert mode, I can tell you how to do everything. Actually, if we come from a place of curiosity and we know how to have a really good conversation and have deep conversations, that benefits our cultures so much more than I would say anything else that I could I could implement I mean creating a culture where where teams support each other and see each other's potential is really important so I would say learning how to be almost better coaches within your own business how can you coach each other on challenges so I think that's a, a really and anyone can any company can go and learn how to listen better you know how to listen to each other how to ask good questions that is easy to learn um so I would say that is where I would start 100% listening and asking good questions of each other
1: yeah that's great advice um a great starting point it it might be good at this point to just kind of explore a past experience you've had with an organization where you've gone in and, and made some of these changes and what the kind of net outcomes were um, in the short term but in the long term as well?
0: Yeah, definitely. So I would say probably one of the companies that I've worked with most recently was, funny enough, a marketing agency, um, but they were really open to wanting to do things differently. So they were in quite a saturated area in terms of, you know, they had a lot of competition locally. And they were really aware that, you know, even the founder himself had a lot of experience being in some of these other agencies. So he was like, I don't want to build another agency that's just exactly the same culture. And, you know, and he's very aspirational, but doesn't kind of, and he wouldn't mind me saying this, but doesn't really know the kind of, you know, the, the way the culture needs to be he's got an idea of it but building a team around that and having putting that into context is very different and especially because one of the other things challenges which a lot of businesses are going through at the moment as well is the fact that there's remote team members so you know you've got people you've maybe hired in different parts of the UK so creating a culture and establishing something that would be strong for everybody no matter where they were Is really important, you know. That sense of belonging, even if you are alone in a home office, is really important. So for us, the the whole thing was around okay, establishing a culture, but also bringing the team on board with that. So the team itself was very small when I started there. So there was five team members, and we worked with all of the team on building that culture. So it wasn't just one person's vision, you know directing it it was very much about okay what do we all want the culture to be that kind of collaboration co-creation kind of mindset and the exciting part about that as well is that at, at that point as well because of the environment that was in that culture already so luckily I didn't need to change anything in regards to like distrust or anything else like that because everybody was already feeling like they were in a psychologically safe environment, we were able to pick up things and change things that maybe, you know, we never would have thought of. So, for example, I remember one of the the team members saying about how, um, like, some of the phrasing in the contract is really negative and it's, like, really like, if you don't, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you, even though the company itself is really laid back. And it didn't come across that way. When you're signing this employment contract, it sounds like, you know, the smallest thing you're going to do step over the Mm. line, you're going to get cut. So we had to look at even some of the things like that. And luckily, you know, like I say, the environment was already a good place that the team were willing to be really honest about their experiences, and even about previous experiences. So We kind of brought everything together from everybody's experiences about things they didn't like, about things that had happened to them in previous cultures that they didn't want to happen again. And so from this, we were able to establish a culture, you know, we were able to establish really clear values, but also create almost like a bit of a rule book, you know, like a don't be a dickhead kind of rules. Like what happens you know, if this happens, what's the kind of, you know, how are you, what's the ultimatum, but not in like a, you're going to mm-hmm. lose your job way. Do you get what I mean? Like, yes, there are certain things that if you do this thing, you're going to, you know, be fired or whatever, but that's at the very mm-hmm. extreme end of the scale. What we should be focusing mm-hmm. on is those rules that actually, if, if you, you know, if you put a foot out of line and you, you, you act like an arsehole, then mm-hmm. we're going to have a conversation about this and you know, this is what it's going to be. So it's been really fun working with that client and they are, I'm still doing some occasional coaching with them because um, they're, they're really moving things forward. But for us, the, the outcome really was about building a culture that is totally unique and different and doing things differently. So, you know, they don't ask, it sounds ridiculous, but they don't actually ask for qualifications on any of their career opportunities because they're like, well, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? Like, actually um, I want you to send a video Answering these questions because I want to have an idea of who you are before mm-hmm. I invite you to an interview. So it's it's all those kind of things that we wanted to really focus on a bit of difference, mm-hmm. a bit of uniqueness. And so that has been a really fun, fun project to continue working on is constantly thinking, how can we do this bit better? How can we check make this better?
1: Uh I think in my experience. Um, employment contracts seem inherently narcissistic in that they you can sometimes read an employment contract and think is this contract self-aware of how this contract sounds (laughs) And uh, narcissism obviously being that you believe a version of yourself that just isn't true and 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 i and i guess that's what uh, a large part of of changing culture is it's it's getting uh organizations to have a real a, a, a reality check right to understand what what, what, yeah, what their yeah, messaging me. and you know the I think there's a quote by Rumi that I love where it says you know don't increase the volume of your words but the quality I'm I'm butchering that quote um but essentially that um, <laughs> you know you've got to be really thoughtful about what you put out as an organization um and yeah. people respond to that and if yeah. if if something does get put out that isn't good people might not say it there and then but it affects the way that people view what you do um Absolutely. so what i mean okay i'm going to play devil's advocate here uh cuz i've been in it you've been in it in jobs where it's a job right um and obviously there's people who are in the organization who maybe are founders and they're super committed there's maybe people who are super Mm. focused on the career and maybe love the mission but then there might be that person maybe a few people who this is a job you know and it's um Mm. they kind of wear that professional hat just because that's all it is to them what do you do in that situation how because i'm imagining that this can only work if everybody's on board. So, so what do you do in that situation?
0: Mm. Yeah. I think to be honest, there are people like that and there's always going to be people like that. And I think as long as they're not, you know, um, actively going against the culture, then I don't see there as a problem. It's good to have people who are highly engaged and ambassadors of the culture but you will always get those few people. And I think as long as they're not highly disengaged, as long as they're not actively, you know, disregarding the culture altogether, then I don't think it's too much of a bad thing to have people like that. Everyone's ideal is to have this hyper-engaged, super-passionate team. But unfortunately, either people's recruitment or onboarding processes are just not really worth the worth the paper they're put on or you know they're kind of a little bit lax about actually understanding who they want in the organization in the first place so I think to be honest there's always going to be people like that and I even know there's there's people um you know who just float like that in Mm self-managing organizations you know um but I think as long as, like I say, they're not kind of actively disengaged and kind of trying to test the buttons and, you know, push things, then I think it's like, it's it's fine. There are just some people who will see work as work and as much as you can try and influence them, they have their own reasoning for, for why that might be.
1: That's great. Um, so Lizzie, what's the future? Where are... Uh... What are the organizations that are going to win in the long term?
0: I think I truly believe that the companies that will do the best over the next period of time are the ones who are going to be more agile and who are going to actually totally throw the rule book away and that whole business blueprint and it's because of the past year that more businesses should be thinking that way you know if you had built a business <laughs> plan for 2020 you may as well have used it for fire fodder for all it was worth and even though right now we're coming out of a pandemic and it's something we may have to live with for the rest of our lives unfortunately There's no urgency about everything else going on, you know, like climate change or other situations that are going on. And we seem to have this idea that, oh, we'll just get over a pandemic and then everything will be fine. But the fact is, it might not be. There might be something else that that comes out next. There might be another pandemic. There might be some major climate change of some kind. And I think the businesses who are more agile, more open-minded, more willing to try things out, play with things, experiment with doing things differently, have a bit of courage about the way they hold themselves, I think they're going to be the businesses who do profoundly well, not the ones who get stuck in their ways, who don't want to change, who are resistant to change. I think they're the ones who are going to eventually begin to die a death. And we're going to see more of these really robust, exciting businesses come forward.
1: That sounds sounds exciting. Um, (laughs)
0: um,
1: We've spoken about culture now and I want to know today, what's, what's your personal culture?
0: I would say my personal culture is constant curiosity. I am a really curious person (laughs) and in all facets of my life, I always want to know like why, I suppose it comes back to what we spoke Mm -hmm. about at the beginning, that wonderment of, and that curiosity of, well, Mm -hmm. why is it this way? You know, that kind of childlike curiosity and wonderment about things. And I try and, I try and have that approach with so much in my life. Um, Not just around my business, about constantly thinking, okay, what's exciting me? Why is that exciting me? What can I do next? Um, But also when it comes to, you know, my my personal life, my personal relationships. So, you know, I'm a step-mum, and that's probably the hardest role I'll ever have in my life and it's been the hardest role to play by far and even that you know when after a few years of being a step-parent I was like am I good at this like what are you meant to do (laughs) so even with that you know I went on a course to be a better step-parent because I was like I really want to know how to do this well (laughs) so I wanted to be I was curious about how do you be a good step-parent you know so for me it's always curiosity around, yeah, around just life, I think.
1: So when that culture is consistent, what is the net positive to your life? What are some of the things that happen because of it? The, the course on being a, a step-parent is one of them, mm. and that's great. But maybe maybe you could share a bit more.
0: Yeah, I think just imp- like improved relationships, And, you know, you have much more meaningful relationships when you're more curious about things. Um, Even I always joke that I'm not very good at going to the hairdressers because I really hate having conversations about holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Because I hate it when they go, where are you going on holiday? And I'm like, oh, give me strength. Let's talk about something (laughs) more meaningful. Um, And I know there's not always the right time for deep and meaningful conversations, but I am someone who loves nothing better than a really deep conversation so you know getting curious around friendships and developing much more deeper meaningful friendships is really important to me and even you know my lockdown hobby of plants house plants which I used to murder (laughs) regularly and now (laughs) and now they actually survive and my friends joke that I should open a plant shop um but to me, when when I'm in that curious mode, life is so much lighter and less heavy. I think mm. when we take everything so seriously and we have this kind of weight on our shoulders that we have to know everything and we have to do everything a certain way, that's heavy. That is some heavy shit to carry. It's like, well, no, actually, I'm gonna be curious and maybe my curiosity will just lighten the load a bit and I'll I'll find something that makes it more fun or more interesting or more exciting. So for me, curiosity is just makes life a whole lot more enjoyable than thinking being from that know it all perspective.
1: Yeah, there's there's it reminds me of a, a movie. I forget its name, but there's so much beauty in the world. Um yeah. So building on that curiosity, if you weren't doing Liberty Mind, mm. if you weren't helping businesses with culture, what would you be doing?
0: Oh, that is a good question. And I honestly don't know the answer. Um it's my mum, <laughs> my mum always used to give me the best. The best advice I've ever been given about your career or your job from from my mum is just do what you love. And if I ever fall out of love with culture and supporting people, um, I don't know what I'd go to because that's, that's what I love at the moment. But that's what I've always done. And you could say my my career up until now has been a total squiggle. You know, it's not been linear. It's a total kind of squiggle and that's because I've just followed that if I don't love something then I don't do it anymore because there's no passion and when there's no passion you never do anything well so I think for me it's always just keep doing something I love and when I don't love it tap into the next thing that I love plants
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great I think that's a great place to end right
0: lizzie's plant Um, shop
1: coming soon (laughs) liberty plants (laughs)
0: um
1: lizzie thank you for just being so open um with the previous answers not answers but with the content of this conversation um but i have got some more kind of like you say game (laughs) showy quick fire type questions and um I've pinched these from some of my favorite podcasts uh, that are around today. So the first one is
0: awesome.
1: uh, What is an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? And you can't say plants or cats.
0: <laughs> Damn, you took both of those away from me. An unusual thing I love. Mm-hmm. Um, or absurd unusual or absurd I'm trying to think of what I do now that's a bit weird or absurd um, is cleaning the house one because I am like OCD about cleaning the house like I
1: is like like every day?
0: no like I give my house probably like a full on detox like every month okay. I get like yeah OCD cleanliness maybe
1: (laughs) do you do you do you you hinge the house
0: oh I don't I'm not that extreme I don't really believe in hinching it's more of like a (laughs) it's more of like a um what's the best way to describe it like a detox for the house like I'm one of the people who needs to have the right environment for me to thrive Mm. I don't like mess and it's so bad that when I was a teenager, I even would actually clean my own bedroom. To the point wow. where I would get in from a night out and if my bedroom was still a mess from my preparation of getting going out on the town, I'd tidy my bedroom drunk before I got into bed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's absurd. That is absurd, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, is a, what is a book that you've most given as a gift Ooh. or if you haven't given it as a gift what's what's one or three book one to three books that have hugely influenced your life
0: So the biggest book that I give as a gift is um and it's it's a bit out there um Gabby Bernstein the universe has your back wow. um so that's the the book I gift the most I would definitely think why why
1: why yeah why?
0: Because I think sometimes people have lost their faith in themselves. And that book, I think, helps to restore your own faith. That self-belief. I think some of us need a bit bit of a... We need to be our own cheerleaders. So that book, definitely. And the other books... Oh, gosh, where do I even start? I have so many. I mean, yeah... The other book I would say is Big, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. That's another one I recommend regularly. And that's had a huge impact. Um, I really love her as an author. Um, and then Anything by Brené Brown. I mean, she's just an absolute workplace guru, that woman. And she's just so fun as well.
1: So in the last five years or two years or three years, what what is a new belief or behaviour or habit that you've instilled that has most improved that your life? Like, what has been the... Um, if you're thinking about the 80-20 rule, like what's been the 20% you've done that's just had a huge impact?
0: Let go of control. I can say that hands down. I used to be such a control freak. I would just get so attached to a goal or an outcome that i would control every single element of it and it would take all the joy out of it and i would get and i'm i'm generally quite a driven and ambitious person but i would get a bit too driven and ambitious that it would be it would totally absorb me and so i've let go of that control freak and instead i've been learning to let go And be a bit more laid back. And surrender slightly. And that has had the biggest impact on my life.
1: Did it take a while for you to get to that point? Oh, yeah. Of being able to let go. It's a
0: constant practice. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Is it a meditation? Do you meditate? Yeah,
0: I do. I always meditate. And it's definitely a mindset practice of okay, this, this would be great if this happens, and I know I can take these actions to get there, but if it doesn't happen, it's not the worst thing in the world, and again, you know, if it doesn't happen, there might be a reason for that that I can learn from. It doesn't need to be, I don't need to be massively atta- attached to the outcome.
1: So I, with that, most control freakery. <laughs> <laughs> is is it's damage limitation right you are trying to to limit failure yeah um so so what is one of your favorite failures what's something that you failed at that has actually turned out to be a lesson or gave way to a success that came through that you didn't expect at the time
0: yeah I mean I suppose. It depends what you determine as failure because I don't really feel like I've had any failures in my life. I suppose I'm always, I've always been quite positive and optimistic in my mindset. But if I had to say there was a failings, I would say
1: maybe a setback.
0: Yeah, a setback. So I would say um, personally, um, a breakdown of a relate a, a previous relationship um, that I had. That lasted for 10 years and i i ended it that because i think with that there was also a lot of lessons around realizing people's expectations on you and Mm -hmm. um you i didn't fail in my eyes but i failed in a lot of other people's eyes because their expectations changed of me um so i would say that's that's one um and then I would say professionally, what's a failing? I would say, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many bumps in the road where you think, oh, this will be really good. And then it's kind of crap. and <laughs> 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 um, So when I first started, I really wanted to um, launch like my own culture award. You know, and I was like, oh, I'm going to launch my own culture award, like Glassdoor and all these ones, giving them out. Uh, and then I realized they're just so much BS that I don't believe in them either. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'd already spent a lot of work on um, the graphic designer and everything. So I'd forked out all this money on like this, all this branding and certificates and all of this. And I was like, I actually don't want to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, there's plenty what did to you- choose from.
1: Because clearly, your feeling about it changed mm. as you got to a certain point in the road. Yeah. What was it that you sensed? You said that you didn't want to be... You didn't want to be associated with BS, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, is that what it was?
0: Yeah, it was. I thought, who am I to feel like I can judge people's cultures? You know, it's so subjective. So, I kind of saw it through that lens, and I thought, who who am I to give this criteria, criteria out? Because even as a as a culture in quotes expert i'm still on the journey of really understanding like what an ideal culture is i'm i'm consistently Mm -hmm. on that journey and we're all on that journey and what you might have for example certified as an amazing culture pre-covid could be an absolute shit show right now Mm -hmm. so you know it's one of those things that it's, it's always a journey so i don't think you can kind of put the flag in the earth too quickly
1: that's interesting so it it's less about it's not it's not prescriptive mm,
0: right
1: yeah that uh the culture has to be um i guess malleable and structured, organic. not structured but yeah. organic right yeah. and responsive to the product the market the team the technology or whatever it is that you're doing it has to all kind of assimilate and fit in a yeah in a nice way,
0: definitely. So
1: it's hard to just have some arm's length metric to say this yeah. is a good place and this is a bad place. And yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Again, with Glassdoor as well, people might just be having a crappy day and then they write a review and <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> and-, and all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. it's a free for all. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should be re- re- you should be required to give a review every quarter yeah. that you're at your company.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And on- on Glassdoor. Yeah. Um, uh okay so if you could go back to lizzie at 20 yeah which is only a couple of years ago right
0: (laughs) you're so kind
1: um what and you know driven smart about to kind of enter that professional world what 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 advice do you think that you would tell her to ignore?
0: I would say ignore anybody that tells you it can't be done. It's only their fear speaking. Yeah
1: do you think fear is more common than people let on
0: yeah 100% all the time yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely
1: Lizzie what do you do when you feel overwhelmed
0: so the first thing I always do is what I call take five <laughs> my partner always jokes because I sometimes I, I used to do this after a really long day at work um, I just lay on my bed and literally take five <laughs> so I just lay there and I'm like I'm just taking five just taking five (laughs) um and then I kind of yeah probably go for a walk um because I feel like a walk fixes everything um so yeah probably take five and go for a walk
1: I think the queen said that on the crown do you watch the crown yeah she said a brisk a brisk walk fixes most
0: (laughs) it does and a cup of tea and biscuit. most problems
1: (laughs) yeah most problems (laughs) um well I'm gonna leave the floor for you I mean I've I probably have no more questions at this point so Mm. is there anything any part in words anything else you wanna you wanna say
0: I don't think so this has been such a roller coaster Toby thank you so much but a great fun one like yeah it's been so much fun to be in the hot seat and um I mean I you know we're always Kind of self-deprecating that we never think we really know anything so it was a kind of an honor for me to have you interview me and to say oh we should interview you I was like really <laughs> people want to hear me um so no just thank you so much and thank you for such interesting questions it was so nice to do this off the bat and yeah for those of you listening I didn't know any of the questions that Toby was nope. going to ask so this has been totally 100% real um but yeah, just thank you so much for, for asking such great questions. I feel like you need a podcast now, Toby.
1: <laughs> yeah, well done for entering the lions then. <laughs> uh, what what a great example to uh to anybody else who's coming on the podcast. But it's been great for me, um and also great to just kind of um learn f- more from you again and learn some, some of the background of of your story and I'm sure there's there's a lot of space for a part two um, in the
0: future.